Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love The Real Housewives. I'm your host, Connor Bean, and thank you for joining me. Um, maybe you joined us for the bonus episode we put out last Friday as a little early Christmas present for you all. It was off topic, but it was so fun to chat with my friend, Holly Shortall. If you haven't checked that out, do give it a listen. And thank you for all your kind messages about us doing a little one-off Christmas collab. It was so much fun to record. As I'm recording this, Christmas is around the corner. It has obviously been the weirdest year ever and December has definitely felt a bit strange as well. So hopefully for the next little while, uh, some Real Housewives chat will take your mind off things, maybe relax you, maybe you're frantically wrapping some gifts while you listen or fantasizing about Christmas dinner. Hopefully whatever you're up to, you're safe, healthy, you're able to see some people but do it safely, all that kind of thing. I'm wishing everybody that's listening all the best for Christmas and for 2021 as well. Uh, today's guest is the amazing Emer McGlyset, of course, one half of the team behind the amazing, oh my God, what a complete Ashleen. So much crack, and I'm so glad we were able to get her on the show and that she has gone headfirst into all things Real Housewives. When someone you think is kind of a buzzer and who's, whose stuff you already like reading or, or, you know, seeing on social media gets into Housewives, I swear, it just makes me so happy. I'm like, oh, Welcome to the club. So enjoy this chat with Emer McLeod of Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling and much more besides. Here she is on Housewives and Me. My guest today is the co-author of the amazing Ashling books, including Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling, and of course, 2020's Must Have Christmas Gift, the brand new Ashling Diary, which if you don't have. You're just not going to be organised for 2021. She's also a journalist and columnist. She has a column in the Sunday Business Post, in which she has mentioned this very podcast, which we were very excited about. And this year, she has become, much to my delight, a brand new fan of The Real Housewives. Emer McLeod, welcome to Housewives and Me. Hi, Connor. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to get into, like, you've watched a lot of these shows, so we have a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, yeah I've done a lot of binging. I'm not proud of it, but also I am kind of proud of it. So... <laughs> So how did you get into Housewives this year and what ones are you watching and, and are you glad to finally be on board? I'm really like I've been aware of Housewives for years so I know the memes like I knew about the table flipping Aviva's leg you know that's my opinion all of those kind of memes that I was seeing them all the time I follow a lot of people you Louise McSharry, Laura DeBarra who are into Housewives so I just felt it was like this um kind of hole in my cultural knowledge and there was part of me that was kind of afraid to get into it. I was thinking back to when I was a teenager and the internet was becoming popular. I'm aging myself now. Um, I was kind of afraid to get the internet in our house because I thought, well, there's going to be too much on it for me to look up. Like I'm going to want to look up everything and it'll be overwhelming. And I felt kind of that way about Housewives because I knew there were so many series. I just felt, I was like, I don't know where to start. I'll never catch up. So long story short, I... They put uh, Beverly Hills in New York on Netflix and I was like, right, well, I have no excuse now. And I just started and I um, now finished both of those. <laughs> As in finished up until like where they're airing this year kind of finished? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing because some people are like, I watched both seasons around Netflix. I'm like, well, there's more than two but like that's impressive so so I watched Beverly Hills first um I think I probably knew a little bit more about Beverly Hills like I was aware of some of the characters I'd watched a bit of Vanderpump Rules previously so I you know knew that kind of side of it and I just decided to start with that I mean I've had a Hey You subscription for a long time because I got it to watch the Kardashians but I never really used it to watch Housewives but now obviously I do <laughs> Oh, wow. That's so interesting. See, it was kind of their way. It was probably, hey, it was probably like, when you're ready, you'll come to this part of our library. They were like, you'll, you'll need it one day. Yeah. And I mean, I have a long history of watching reality TV. Like, you know, I was trying to make a list earlier of all the shows I've loved and watched over the years. And some of them, I feel like are quite niche. Like things like, did you Love is in the Air, which was like Princess Anne Claire, and she was looking for some, like, a, did you, it, it's really hard even to find reference to it on the internet. Um, but I used to watch that. I don't even know what channel it was on. The Gastineau Girls, Phil, uh, Rich Girls. And then the, like, I remember uh, Sarah, who I write the Ashling books with, we lived together in various flats over the years and we were at like reality show addicts. So the Ashley Simpson show, Meet the Barkers, 16 and Pregnant. 
um, the original Love Island, uh, Shipwrecked back in the day, like all of those different ones. But yeah, some of them were definitely very Housewives adjacent. You've mentioned like so many like reality bangers basically of an era. Like I, like MTV was fully my shit back in the day. I think MTV set me up for where I am with Housewives now, just in terms of like understanding the rhythms of reality. Like Ashley Simpson show was so underrated. Put that on Hey You if you ask me. Absolutely. I mean, I've gone back and watched definitely like almost all of Meet the Barkers is on YouTube. And the episodes are split into like four or five pieces, which is annoying. But if you're a true Meet the Barkers fan, then you're going to sit through it. Um, and I think the same with the Ashley Simpson show. Like, I, I, mean, I remember we used to dream about who we would want on a reality show. So Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen was our number one dream, was a reality show about them. And then Lindsay Lohan was our second. And then she actually did get one, but it was a bit of a disappointment. I know. I felt like the Lindsay thing had such potential. And it was, it struck me as a show of like, like they had a certain amount they filmed with her and they were trying to add all these interviews in after the fact, like to the cam- the two camera stuff. And it just didn't have a through line like in a way what we want is Lindsay on a show like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills like she didn't have enough going on to anchor a show around her and all these nobodies in a beach house who were like second rate Vanderpump Rules characters it just did not land for me and I wanted it to so badly yeah I mean I'm not a huge fan of people who are already celebrities going on to something like Housewives but I would make an exception for Lindsay I think but you see so you're saying you're not a fan of celebs existing celebs going on why is that? Is it because you already know them and you want to get a new person or is it just a famous person never plays as dirty? I feel like there's a couple of things. I feel like everyone already has a preconceived notion of who the person is, like more so than if they're just like a random who. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to talk in who weekly terms here, but you know, it's just like, you know, like Denise Richards. I'm like, she's a them. Like she's, you know, she, you know who she is. Everyone knows who she is. And I think when celebrities or previously famous people go on they have more of an agenda they have something they're either trying to build or sell or you know get across rather than just oh maybe this will make me famous they're already famous so there's something else going on and I think that was definitely the case for Denise Richards I think she was just trying to you know reignite her acting career or whatever that's interesting I hadn't thought like the kind of if you're already famous you're going on to houses either for a big check or a kind of a career rehab or the moment in the sun yeah that is such a good point as someone who's watched I mean New York and Beverly Hills you've watched like Beverly Hills has 10 seasons New York is what 12 or 13 how do you like what do you notice when you because I haven't binged either of those shows because I've particularly Beverly Hills I've watched it weekly for years I'm so curious what stood out to you on binges of both shows and what maybe surprised you um definitely my changing emotions and my changing attitudes towards housewives so like when I was watching both of those series I was texting so I'm good friends with Louise McSharry and she is like the mm-hmm. queen of everything about housewives and I was texting her and saying oh so like when Heather came on to New York I was like oh I quite like Heather like she seems cool she seems kind of she's you know they often have like a foil who's kind of the straight woman who mm-hmm. play, reacts to all of the batshit things that all the rest of them do and then every time I texted something like that to Louise she'd be like mm, yeah we'll see yeah okay <laughs> And I mean, Heather turned out fine. You know, she never really did anything that heinous or anything, but she was kind of annoying in the end. But I kind of stopped doing that because I didn't want to like someone and then have to anticipate that they were going to fall from grace. Um, But like, definitely my, like somebody like Alex from the earlier seasons of New York, like I remember texting friends saying that Alex and Simon were making me feel physically sick. Like I was I felt like retching, which is an awful thing to say about somebody. But like when just when they were doing their ostentatious shopping sprees and like touching each other, I just I was like, I don't think I can keep watching this if this pair are going to carry on like this. And like Simon's fashion. Oh, God, it's just horrific. But then Alex turned out to actually be one of the sounder housewives in later seasons. I mean, she was just a punching bag for everyone. But, you know, so it was those kind of very quickly changing opinions that I found really interesting. And like, I had to kind of take breaks because there were times when I was kind of having nightmares. <laughs> like, I was... <laughs> Listen, it's been a long year. <laughs> like at one stage I was having nightmares about Dorinda. Like she, you know, she has been on such a roller coaster and she started off so great and I loved her. I thought she was so funny. I thought she was so charismatic. Like she's so good to watch. But then things started to kind of go down the pan and I was like having nightmares about her. I had to take a break. 
I'm obsessed with that. I think that might be one of my favorite things anyone has said to me so far in this podcast. I was having nightmares about Dorinda. <laughs> I mean, after the most recent season, I actually wouldn't blame you. Yeah, I think you've brought up such a good point that I actually have had this conversation with people who are new to certain shows this year and just about the shows in general where one season you're like, X is my best friend. And then the next season you're like, X is trash. I don't want to see X on my screen anymore. Like you, yeah. And I think that's the show, A, sets them all up one way and wants to pull the rug out from under them. But it's also like, as a viewer, you're just like, I've had enough of Hala Mama or whatever. You're like, um, I could do with somebody new now. It's mad how you do hit a limit with them. Yeah, and you really notice as well the kind of um story plot points that they come back to for each person. Like in the later series of New York, I was like, if I see Scott surprising Tinsley one more time, like that was her only plot line. <laughs> so you really notice stuff like that. But I mean, that's the dangers of of binging shows. But now I'm actually watching salt lake city week by week because it's a brand new show and i'm finding myself quite impatient because i'm like well i want like i don't know enough about these women and i want to know more quicker um well i truly am a product of you know binge watching tv culture (laughs) that's interesting so are you enjoying salt lake city in general and how how does the weekly experience compare because i feel like weekly you end up chatting about it and following conversation about it more in a way because everyone's as you say waiting to get the next bit of information i am enjoying it they did put two episodes out in one week so i think maybe they were everyone was like we need more we don't know anything about these women please give us more so yeah i am enjoying it and it will be nice to be able to keep up with the chat um as people are watching it and we're all learning about the characters together but um i've done the silly thing of also starting potomac from the start around the same time so trying to get my head around 10 or 11 new housewives is difficult but I think I've I've watched enough Potomac now to go oh no they're from Potomac and they're from Salt Lake City the weather is helping because it's cold in Salt Lake City so I could just imagine them in coats and I'm like oh yeah no she's from Salt Lake City for sure and it's funny on Salt Lake City how Meredith and Lisa for the first two weeks no one could tell them apart I really can't and I've tried I really can't like it's one of them is gonna have to wear a badge or something I just (laughs) a name tag I loved I loved the scene like recently on Salt Lake City where Meredith told Lisa about her separation from her husband. She was like, Seth and me are getting a divorce and we're getting, we're separated. And then Lisa's like, Mom, oh my God, Mom, I can't do for you. Really, Mom, what can I do? Like they're just the voice, actual, and I don't mean to criticize how women speak in general by any means, but the particular ways of talking each woman on Salt Lake City has fascinates me and some scenes I just find myself laughing at how they deliver utterly mundane for it. like Meredith being like I'm just gonna make guacamole do you want some like it's just it's absolute there's something about the whole show is so heightened and surreal even down to how they talk to each to each other yeah, and like the gla- like the glamour in Salt Lake City, like it's up there. It's really to- like they're really glamorous, and they really go all out with the- out with the glam squads and everything. And I think it probably goes to show where like how far your money will go in different places. Because I mean, they some of them are Beverly Hills level of glam. Like some of the outfits, I think I think like somebody like Jen is going to really knock it out of the park when it comes to outfits and looks and hair and all that and i mean i'm, I'm there thinking god she's like dorit with the, like what is she going to come out with next um but i'm sure it costs a lot less to live the way they do in salt lake city than it does to live the way dorit does in beverly hills um but yeah it's really really interesting loving the mormon background i think you had a previous guest who said they found it a little bit uncomfortable I don't like her somebody had commented that they found watching it a bit uncomfortable and I did as well but I thought it was maybe just because it was a brand new series and we didn't know anything about them um but yeah no it will be interesting Mary seems like a complete head the ball so I'm interesting interested to see where she goes like she could drop off the face of the planet or become you know the main character it's hard to know yeah that's such a good point about Mary because even like she's kind of doing her piece to camera or she's interacting with someone and she kind of just turns her head and her eyes wide and then she twitches her neck and I often am watching Mary and I'm like the storyline is so bizarre and fascinating and I'm as a viewer so glad we have it but I'm also sitting there going okay all these other women I understand why they signed up for this I can't for the life of me figure out why Mary did the show like what's in it for her yeah I agree the motivations I think about their motivations a lot especially when they come on especially characters who come on in later 
series of established shows and then these women who've started in the new one like how do they get them to sign up are they waiting like do you remember when 16 and pregnant started and there was this moral panic that teenagers were going to get pregnant just to go on the show and I was like are there women sitting in the wings going this is what I need to do to get on housewives and this is what I'm going to need to make friends with and this is the circle I need to move in I'd say definitely for sure and actually you mentioned Jen there who is very entertaining at Salt Lake City but also because I've kind of I've either watched all of some city I've watched basically every city either a bit or all of it and I could see in Jen someone who has studied the playbook it's like a dash of Nene Leakes with a snippet of Bethany Frankel the glam squad of Erica Jane and the one-liners of such and such you can kind of see with Jen there is a real story that she has in an arc I think she'll go on but I can also just see the cogs turning in Jen's head of I'm on Housewives and the best Housewives are often the ones say like Dorinda who on paper actually maybe wouldn't be right for the show but that's why she was or even when Carol was on New York like there are characters who don't quite fit the mold and then when they do go on that in that world you're like this is so interesting yeah yeah definitely like when Carol first came on in New York sorry I'm jumping around between series and cities here I was like why is this woman on this show like she just seemed a little bit too reserved a little bit too not classy because I actually don't think she was that classy but and I love her I actually did love her but yeah I was kind of baffled and then I was like oh she's promoting books she's she she wants to get a tv show made that's why she's done it and she thinks she's gonna and it probably pays well I mean some of these women maybe Jen from Salt Lake City is like well this is my paycheck for the next you know six seven eight years if it does well like it's probably I don't know I haven't gone into the 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 depths of how long they film for but I don't think it's for very long like it's for a few months a year I think or oh you know spread out over a few months like for some of them that's an easy paycheck I know they're putting themselves out there but they're probably like oh it's not really me I'm putting it on for the cameras like it's their job it's like when I, I wonder sometimes is it like people in Big Brother who say they forget the cameras are there like do the housewives sometimes forget the cameras are there after 15 Pinot Grigios yes I'd say they do but I don't know. I think some of them are so settled into it. They're kind of like, this is just my job. This is the same as me going to the office. You've brought up a point that um, it's something that I think comes up in the shows in a roundabout way, where particularly on Beverly Hills, where they're all, most of them are actors or actor adjacent. And I think a lot of the fights about you did this, you said this are often about like particularly the, they made the subtext attacks on Beverly Hills this year. Lisa Runa's problem with Denise was, I turn up and film a reality show and put it all out there and that's the job. You turn up and film a reality show and you don't put any of it out there. And that's the idea that one of them is not doing their job or playing ball with production rattles them way more than you said this about my kids or you flirted with my husband or whatever. And Dorinda, or not Dorinda, sorry, Dorinda had the same problem with Tinsley. So Dorinda had, you know, obviously agreed, you know, I'd say there's a contract and they have to sign and said, you agree to do this, this, this and this. And I'm sure there's a lot of negotiations over it. And then when Tinsley was seen not to be showing everything like Dorinda could not hack it Dorinda it's it's interesting I wondered too why Dorinda is on the show came on I was like what is this woman doing on this show like it just didn't really make any sense and I didn't think she'd stick around for that long and I'm glad she has I know she's not going to be in the next season which I'm kind of sad about but also I need a break from her we need a break from each other yeah no and actually it's funny you're talking about the um the work involved and it seems to I think Salt Lake City is maybe an interesting one because I get the vibe from some of the flashbacks we've had that they may have filmed test footage, then greenlit a show and then started filming. But they seem to generally film for anywhere between six to seven months. Then as it airs, they're obligated to be involved in social media, do watch what happens live. And then when they do a reunion, generally speaking, they do a reunion. The network goes, okay, you and you and you are all coming back. Sorry, here's your papers. And they usually start filming not long after the reunion. So there's not... It's weird. The filming isn't full time, but if you're on the show full time, it does take up your whole year because you film it. Then you have to spend six months reliving it and promoting it and maybe having people tweet you like, last week you were a dickhead and then do a re Like, it's just, I don't know if I could do it as much as I love watching it. I was subject to that much scrutiny all the time. I'm like, you know what? I'm actually grand. Yeah, no, I definitely get the feeling that there's kind of like a school year aspect to it. Like, I feel like they do, like, I definitely in New York, they get a break. It, you, they kind of go up to Christmas now, but I, like they start filming in September and then they go up to Christmas. They might go beyond Christmas, but like they haven't seen each other over the summer that much. Or they've had July and August off and they're like, and they haven't seen each other. And then it becomes really apparent that, oh, they are just workmates like they're I mean some of them are friends, obviously, but you, it really becomes very clear that they, they are just there for the show. 
Yeah, that's actually the school year analogy. They're like teachers, aren't they? You're right. It, it, just in terms of how it, it falls down, I'm sure teachers across the world are so glad that I just compared them to the real house size. I just mean the months worked. I don't mean the level of, of dedication. We're asking you how you feel about real housewives. And I have to know, as one half of the duo behind Ashley, one of Ireland's most favourite literary icons what do we think Ashing would make of the real housewives what a good question i think she would be part horrified i mean i'm quite an ashling but i'm also a reality show whore so like i love it but i think Ashing would be a little bit more horrified than me i don't know if she paid for the hey you subscription so that might be a problem you know she's already paying for netflix you know so that's enough it's enough outlay for the for the month i think she'd probably enjoy New York the most because Ashling has been to New York a few times and she feels very you know at home there because she's been twice or whatever um, so I think New York would be her favorite and I think she would maybe not binge it but maybe watch it with some pals say like maybe she might start Salt Lake City if some of her friends are watching it but again I think the fact that it's not a, a not immediately accessible streaming service might be a barrier to Ashling watching it she's just you know it's a lot of it's a lot of apps and passwords and this and that. Do you know why I love that analysis of it? Is A, because I I feel Ashley's pain, but it reminds you of something. I know people have said, probably said to you and said, I relate so hard to blah, blah, blah. And Ashley, there was a moment in the Ashley books, I think it's when they went to Vegas and Ashley's on the plane and she does that bargaining thing at the start of the trip. She goes, should I sleep or will I try and squeeze in three films that are still in the cinemas at home? And I just, I was like, I've never felt more seen by a book in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually funny enough is it the second book that the Ve- I don't want to spoil it too much because people haven't read it but the second book they go to Vegas isn't it book yeah Ashlyn goes on this trip this wild very unlike her trip to Vegas <laughs> I was gonna say because in a weird way the Vegas trip w- is sort of real housewivesy in that like she's out of her comfort zone and mad things happen like I was on like in an alternative universe Ashlyn could like be on the real housewives of Vegas or something <laughs> Oh my God, I would love that. I mean, we're talking about Ashling like she's a real person. She's not. But yeah, so the Vegas trip, yeah, they do. They really go go for it. And Ashling ends up having a one night stand, which is really not like her at all. And um, it's actually one of my favorite bits of story for Ashling um, because there's glamour. There, she kind of lets her hair down. They're in Vegas. There's betting. There's outfits. Yeah, so... Yeah, maybe she is more of a Real Housewives girl than I'm giving her credit for. <laughs> I think you're so right, though. She does strike me as, and I say we're talking about her like we know her, but I personally, I feel like I do after this many books that I've read. I could fully see her just about figuring out Netflix. And so I was like, no, gal, get on Hey. And she's like, no, no, it's not on the smart TV. Like, I could totally see her just like, if she can't hit one button and hit play, she's not going to watch it. Exactly. And I mean, although Hey You could drag her in because Ashling is a long time Kardashians fan. In my head, like it's just something she would have started watching and kept watching. Ashlyn would have been a big E, just E E channel fan, big E news fan, um, big life in the red carpet fan, all of those things, the glamour, the dresses, Jennifer, um, what's your one's name that's in Hunger Games? Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, Ashley's a big fan, beautiful, lovely hair. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> and before we go back to our thoughts on Housewives, are there any actual housewives you think um, Ashley would gravitate towards? Because, and I say this with love, no shade to anyone because I've had people on the show say this, but I have noticed Kyle Richards really appeals to the I started on Netflix this year crowd and I feel like Ashley would be a Kyle Richards fan. Yeah, I'd say she would like Kyle. Like Kyle keeps herself to herself, but actually the first person that sprung to mind was Heather. Heather from New York because she had the most Ashling tendencies. She was generally the most sensible, I think, of any of the housewives that have been on. And Eileen from Beverly Hills, who I loved, like they just had that bit of sense where they were like, well, like what is happening here is crazy or what you're expecting people to accept or do or go along with here is unreasonable or like what what you're saying to that person is not nice. And I think that's, they're kind of the more Ashling traits that she would gravitate towards. That's who I like. I really liked Eileen. I mean, she wasn't the most exciting housewife, but I just liked that little bit of of normalcy and common sense. And the same with Heather. So I think they maybe are who Ashling would gravitate towards. She would love Kyle as well. She fancies Maurizio. Who doesn't? And um, but Kyle, as the the seasons went on, it became became kind of obvious that she was 
keeping her cards close to her chest a lot of the time and she was the big queen of housewives and nothing could touch her so yeah yeah I think Heather and Eileen definitely oh god do you know what I, I had never thought of that but you're so I mean listen you you know Ashley very well so I was like yeah that actually does track well there we go that's Ashley's thoughts one day we'll have to do some weird thing where like someone comes on as Ashley for the full hour I'm now imagining myself somehow writing something where it's it is Ashley in an episode she somehow happens upon the real housewife set oh my god <gasps> if that's in book four I will be so happy in the acknowledgements you can just write to Connor with a little x beside it <laughs> Oh my god, stop the brainstorming we're doing. We've talked about Ashton's thoughts, but let's go back to yours, obviously. Um, we've kind of talked about, you've watched a lot quickly. So obviously on Housewives, like any mm-hmm. any kind of film or TV thing, there are tropes for, you know, apologies, seeing them pack what they order, etc. Are there any tropes from Housewives that stand out to you that you enjoy, or maybe even kind of rot you where you're like, oh god, not this again? Um, I have always enjoyed the room scramble when they go on trips. Um, particularly in New York when Ramona always tries to get the best room for herself or when they're trying to fight over the rooms in uh, Dorinda's house in Bluestone Manor. So I actually really love the room carry on. I love seeing the rooms. I love, and I love seeing like more recently, I think it was in Potomac um, where Ashley invites the girls to her beach house and they're expected to sleep in a twin room two of them I think Giselle and Robin and they are horrified like at like they are we're getting a hotel this is unacceptable and you're like I mean yeah it's two twin beds but I mean it's not you know a hovel it's not a cardboard box in the back garden I mean calm down so I find it really interesting to to kind of see their standards where they lie when it comes to um when it comes to the rooms and where they stay and stuff like that. I love that. I love all of the trip stuff, actually, even though they always end in the most horrific fights. I do love all the trip stuff. Yeah, the trips are such a goldmine because particularly, like we mentioned other reality shows, like say if you're on Big Brother, that kind of locked away with these people and not getting away from them is baked into the premise. Whereas on Housewives, yeah, they can go for lunch and maybe have a fight, go home to their family or get away from the cameras. And it's just something about getting to the end near the end of the season and seeing them all stuck together for four and it's always like the trips are never that long like you're on the third episode of the trip and they're like can you believe we're only here 72 hours and I'm like oh my god I feel like I've been stuck with you for four weeks in this place it's like they squeeze so much in into such a small amount of time like I'd say they come back from the trips and they're all wrecked those trips the length of those trips gives me a lot of anxiety actually and like like you said like Bethany would go to like the Caribbean and she's like well it's night three it's my last night and I'm like if you're gonna take like some of those flights are long haul and they do go to Europe sometimes and I'm like if you're gonna fly long haul I mean you're staying seven nights you're getting your money's worth I know they're not paying for it but I do get quite anxious when they're only doing those very quick trips and they drink so much and they must have such hangovers and such come downs on their way back but I mean I think they just kind of top up the alcohol constantly I don't think any of them are actually completely sober except the ones who are kind of mandated to be sober this is a must ask for anyone who's what who even thinks of housewives in the abstract never mind has watched as much as you have this year you get the call tomorrow. They say, "All right, it's time, Emer. You're on Housewives," and they're like, "Tagline: We need a tagline. What are we going to be?" Oh, oh, I actually have been thinking about this. Sorry, the cat is in my notes. Let me just. <laughs> I have. I actually have a few different ones. I was thinking of. First of all, I'll just say I couldn't imagine myself on Housewives. Like I just, <laughs> I don't think. I don't think I have the right. Get up and go. Mostly for all the dressing up and the makeup and the hair, I just like, oh, drying my hair is one of my least favorite things to do. So I just wouldn't be able for it from a glam point of view. Yes. (laughs) And I found I turned 40 this year. So I found the older I get, the less I care about what people say about me or think about me. I'm just like, I probably did something to deserve it. So I just don't think I'd rise to that much bait. I just feel like, yeah, I I was a bit of a bitch that day. Yeah, that's fair. So I came up with a few different ones. Will you allow me to do a few different ones? Oh, as many as you need. So we're coming from Ashling's perspective. You might think I'm a complete Ashling, but I'm not a complete pushover. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So is that you saying it? That's Ashling saying it for you, you think? No, I think that's me saying it. I hadn't really... Ashling's preserve, but then I had a, a kind of a harsher one, which was, "You might think I'm a complete Ashling, but I could be a complete asshole." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. You could even say something like, "But I can be a total bitch." Like you can totally, really mess with people. 
then I was like, well, what do, what would actually suit like bet, would suit me better is like some people like drama, but I like sitting on the couch switching between the same three apps over and over again. <laughs> That's more me. <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, oh, one more. Okay. So I, I was just saying there, the cat was sitting on my notes. Um, so I was like, call me a crazy cat lady and I'll claw your eyes right out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. So I feel like that could be like a plot point. Like one of them would say something like, and she's always with that cat. She's like a crazy cat lady. And you'd be like, don't you ever call me. A-. Like that would be a great like season one storyline. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, what would people slag me about if I was on it? And they'd probably be like, oh, you have that, that cat. That's all, you know you know, whatever, people slag people for having cats. And I'd be like, yeah, that's like, turn that on its head and be like, I'll claw your eyes right out. Fully. And I also, <laughs> I feel like if, you, I mean, if we're just completely like fantasizing about being on Housewives, like usually if someone is like a successful author or has done something like kind of notable like that, they'll all, if there's a fight, they'll always think like, I am an author, honey. I have written books. And they'd like either have the book to hand or they'd be like, bestseller. What have you sold? Nothing. Like they would always come up in a fight like that they have achieved something that the other person hasn't. Yeah, I know Carol Rodsville was, was uh, she off. She always had the books to fall back on. I've actually thought about reading the book she wrote about her husband dying. Have you read it or listened to the audiobook or anything? I have read it. I read it a few years ago. It is genuinely really good and very moving. And it does give a good sense of um, the life Carol had before, like before she was just even in journalism. And then what her, like she did have a proper TV journalism career. And I think, the book is a nice reminder. There's been a lot of stuff since that actually, and it's all alleged, so who knows, that the book actually was ghostwritten, which is hard to handle because the book I read did not, like I love a ghostwritten celeb memoir. Like I have no issue with that. Sometimes they're actually a great way of capturing the voice of a celebrity, but this one did not strike me as having that. And it felt like it was written by Carol. So I think it's worth checking out. I mean, I don't know where, I think I actually think I might have actually bought it when I was in New York ironically like in the Strand or somewhere like that like I found it secondhand but it's worth it's definitely worth a go and it is I found it quite moving I mean now that I've heard all this stuff like well you know she actually didn't write it I'm like oh god really but I think yeah it, and it's it's a, it's a book about grief really which is completely removed from the kind of tone of Housewives and I'll just say this because it's a bit embarrassing I did read her novel The Widow's Guide to Sex and Dating and that wasn't good oh dear that's disappointing she did get a lot of grief she did get a lot of grief on the show about the ghost writing thing. And I believed her when she said it wasn't ghost written her first, her memoir about the death of her husband, because she wouldn't have gone that hard on the fact that she wrote it. If she hadn't, like she's a journalist, she knows how easy it is to find these things out. So there, I mean, she was talking about, Oh, that person was my editor. And I think that's probably what it was. It was somebody who was helping her with the editing, which everyone who writes a book, has somebody who edits, you know, it puts another eye to it. But I do believe, she, even though I haven't read it, I do believe she wrote it herself. <laughs> and I, I think it's funny, actually, because the, I thought the memoir is beautifully written and there's bits of the novel that do kind of work. And I do think Carl is a talented writer and talented journalist. I also get the impression from having read the memoir and just how she talks about it on Housewives and why she even did Housewives. I think she took a proper career break for a while. And when she went back to it, she kind of thought, well, I have an Emmy and I have a book, so I can just do this and this. And it's like journalism has kind of moved on. She's not down in the muck pitching and freelancing every month. And not, sorry, not that there's anything wrong, but she's not in the trenches doing that monthly and like living that life. And I think she is a journalist in terms of she's had that life, but I don't think that's where she is now. And it kind of becomes apparent on Housewives when she's like, oh, I'm meeting my editor Cosmo. I'm like late sending in a thousand words about Khloe Kardashian. It's like, girl, plum gig, get it together. You're well able to do this. You used to report from war zones. How hard can this be? I agree so much. I was actually horrified when she started doing that thing of like she couldn't meet her deadlines and she just wasn't bothering to write anything. I was like, you would never get another job again if you were at that crack. I mean, I know she has a name and she was a housewife or whatever. But I mean, that wouldn't fly at all. You're dead right. She was kind of an old school journalist. She didn't, she wasn't, she she had never done writing in the digital age, I don't think. That Exactly. That's such a good way of putting it. And it reminds me a bit of like, it's kind of the reality show equivalent of watching Sex and City now and being like, Carrie barely files one piece of copy a week and she lives like a queen and she like 
like puts her hand against her forehead like she's been asked to write war and peace every week it's like it's 800 words on whether people are into blowjobs or not like how hard can this be like i can write 800 words on blowjobs and live in new york city sign me up it is the dream job oh my god it is the dream i can't believe i said blowjobs on the podcast although i've, I've honestly said worse so you know what it is what it is um <laughs> You've probably, I have a feeling because you were so prepared for taglines, you're probably very prepared for this, which I, I do appreciate. I ask everybody this, you're throwing a dinner party tomorrow in a world where we don't have restrictions, thank God, you know, and that's not an issue, let's imagine. That in itself is a dream. You can invite five Real Housewives people to the party. Can be housewives, can be friends of, can be husbands, can be side characters, but five heads that you'd want Oh, your face dropped and I mentioned the other options. I knew that you had, um, I knew that you asked your guests who would they invite to the dinner party, but in my head it was three and it had to be housewives. So, whoa, you have to floor here. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, well, I know who I definitely would invite. Number one, Bethany. So I was thinking the people I want at this dinner party are the ones who are going to be the most crack and are going to have the best gossip. And the ones who aren't going to turn, like who aren't the messiest drunks. We all love a drink. We would, The wine would definitely be flowing at my housewife's dinner party. But I don't want somebody who's going to start throwing glasses or getting into a row or anything like that. So I think Bethany is my number one gal when it comes to that. I'd say she has so much gossip. And if you, you get into her into her kind of circle of trust, she'll tell you everything. I want to know about the divorce. I want to know about all the other women. I want to know about Jill. Actually, Jill is another person who I would invite. So Jill Zarin, who was, when did she leave New York? She left a few seasons ago. After season four, the fourth season was her last and she popped up uh, here and there over the last couple of years. I think I'd invite Jill as well for the early the early um, kind of goss, the lowdown on Ramona, all that kind of thing. So I think Bethany and Jill, hopefully they'd be able to be friends. Um, the other person that I think would be good crack and great for gossip would be Lisa Rinna. Um, again, I think uh, she probably has very loose lips once, you know, you sit beside her for half an hour, I'd say she would tell you anything. Then she would also have the gossip on Scott Disick, who's dating her, you know, child bride daughter. Uh, she'd have the Harry Hamlin madman gossip, like just so much potential there. So they're my three so far, Bethany, Rinna and Jill Zarin. Oh God, who else? Oh, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Brandy Glanville. Interesting. Yeah. Again, just the gossip. I mean, she is a bit of a loose cannon when it comes to the drink. But again, she has so much housewives gossip and so much peripheral gossip, like the um, Eddie Cibrian and um, Leanne Rhymes gossip. I want all of that. She seems to know everyone. Like people are always like, well, I've known Brandy for 10 years. I've known Brandy for 20 years. And I'm like, oh, imagine how many stories she has. Um, and then the final one, let me think who it might be. I think I might go with one of my faves. I think I might go with Eileen. Just because I felt like me and Eileen would get along well. I mean, she spoke every sentence as if she was in a soap opera. Everything was just like, well, here I am. Have you ever seen that SNL sketch, the Californians? Like I could imagine Eileen coming on to the Californians and being like, I took the, uh, you know, whatever to get here. And oh, what are you doing here? So yeah. They're my five. Sorry, that I really rambled on that. Now I'm imagining that dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's funny, actually, because a few people have mentioned Brandy and they always say, I mean, at an actual dinner party, I wouldn't want her. But for a housewife's dinner party, like that's the brand. That's Brandy's magic. We were like, she'd cause awful trouble, but she'd be great. At great gossip. And I think if we were all having our first glass of wine at the same time, it might be OK. We all might be able to keep tabs on each other rather than somebody pre-drinking and coming in three sheets to the wind and just, you know, heading the, doing a Sonia Morgan on it, basically. <laughs> I, yeah, I love when Sonia arrives, like, preloaded to any event. And I'm like, she's basically every Irish person who's ever gone on a night out because we're at home and we're like, oh, let's just have a few drinks. And then you get to the club and you, you think you're the star of the show. She has that energy down. Do you know what she is? She's when you go to a wedding and they serve too much drink before anyone eats and then by seven o'clock someone is sonnying across the floor and being like has to be put into a taxi <laughs> god that is that is such an accurate way of looking at it and it's a shame actually because they did ireland as a trip on oc a few years ago and it 
it was gas yeah i think it was season i want to say 11 or 12 was my first season watching it so they were in temple bar they stayed in powers court they went to johnny fox's they have a huge fight just as they walk into brown thomas but it was when brown thomas was being renovated so you couldn't see the shop name and they weren't allowed to film inside the shop but i really feel like i would give anything to see the new york ladies on the tear in dublin i think that would be so iconic like sonia would actually have met her match ramona would probably carry on with like some gerald Keane type solicitor lawyer person you know you know or what's that developer johnny something johnny oh John, yeah i know the guy you mean johnny i can't remember his surname he's like really like the lily's lily's guy the guy who's like Actually, if Lily's Bordello was still open, the Royal Housewives of New York would tear that place asunder. It would be perfect. Can you imagine Ramona doing the lap there? Come on. Ramona Singer, one of the worst people I have ever encountered. (laughs) Yeah, she really does draw the line of, you are awful, and yet you cannot tear your eyes off her. Like, she's just, she's like, it's like, I don't know, it's like a character study in how the depth, the depths of human depravity watching how she carries on. Yeah, it's, she is fascinating i'd be very surprised if some people haven't written like master's theses on her or some kind of psychology you know psychology degree theses haven't been written on on ramona and you know her the insight into her she is fascinating yeah and it's like like this most recent season where she had 60 of her closest friends and you just saw how so many of her friends are just women who look exactly like her like that really freaked me out i was like ramona 85 percent of these people are your twin yeah. But you know what um, I find really interesting about Ramona is that she's in her 60s. She looks like a woman in her 40s. Like she does between whatever surgery she's had done and whatever, you know, body she's been given. She looks a lot younger than she is. And you forget that she's a woman in her 60s. Like she's, you know, she has she's been around a long time and some in some ways she's very set in her ways. And I think you tend to forget that when she reacts in a kind of, I mean, she says very racist and homophobic things all the time, but I think people, I'm not excusing her, but I think people tend to forget that she is a different generation to the likes of Leah or, you know, a lot of the women that are on housewives. So yeah, Ramona, she is, she is something. She truly is. And you're actually, that's such a good point that this most recent New York season really reminded us viewers of because before Leah, we had gotten so used to particularly Ramona and Sonia acting almost like teenagers with the booze and the carry on, which by the way, I have no problem with. You can do that at 26, 46, 56, 76. I don't care. But you're right. It was not the best. They would get really on their high horse about like things Leah takes for granted as a younger woman. And I'd be like, the things you women have done on this show, I wouldn't do, I didn't do when I was in college. Like, like the kind of outrage would be like, I would never get a tattoo. I'm like, are you kidding me? A tattoo is where you draw the line. And you can see Leah pulling them up a lot on kind of cultural appropriation stuff and stuff like that. Stuff that they've never been talked to about in their lives. They're Upper East Side. And, you know, they, you know, when Ramona had the tiki torches, I think definitely there was an element of Leah going, you know, you know, you shouldn't really have those. They're not part of your culture. Get them out of your backyard. That and also I was just obsessed with when Leah got really drunk and obviously was thinking of the horrible white supremacist rally where they used those torches and she like was an- understandably that she thought of that and was annoyed but because she was drunk and like half naked and swimming pool she just was like I hate this <laughs> it wasn't like this represents white supremacy she was just like <laughs> it's like when you're pissed with a friend and you're trying to make a really deep sociological point and it just comes out as I just want everyone to be equal <laughs> it's like it's nothing deeper than that I must say, I love Leah. I absolutely love her. I thought about inviting her to my dinner party, but I, I think I would be kind of afraid of her. Um, oh, why? I do, do, well, when we see her drinking, she is like, she does, you know, go off the rails. So I think that might be an issue. And I just think I'm a little, like she's very sharp tongued. So I would be afraid that she would point out, you know, my biggest, deepest secret flaw to me. And then I'd just be crying. <laughs> Not my biggest, deepest secret value. That's why neither of us would ever do reality TV because I live in fear of that as well. Um, I know you're kind of a newer, like, hardcore fan of it now. And our chances of spotting them here in Dublin are sadly very small. But have you ever had a Real Housewives run-in, even maybe on social media? Is there one that you would like to run into? I mean, you've just said you'd be scared of it. Yeah, so... 
yeah no I've never had a run in I mean I am quite new to them I've been aware of them for years but I, I am quite new to them I'd love a DM chat maybe with Erica although I don't know how much she would reveal she's a bit of a closed book but I would love to chat to Erica I would love um it if Bethany followed me and then we could DM back and forth and I just get the goss off her um if I in like I go to New York, I have a very good friend who lives in New York, so I would go and visit quite a bit. So I think the next time I go, I will definitely be doing a pilgrimage of various um, housewives locations, like Zaron Fabrics and whatever. I'm finding everything. <laughs> you'll be you'll be like, um, I think for a drink tonight we should go to the Regency. She'd be like, I've never we're going like <laughs> like politely like direct yourself towards the Regency. Catch me shifting Tom D'Agostino at the Regency. <laughs> I think the person you'd end up scoring is probably Harry Dubin, who just seems to pass. He just seems to pass amongst New York women. Like, I mean, like a pre-COVID, COVID-19. Like he just, every woman has had a go of him. And he was married to Aviva. God, we didn't even talk about Aviva. One of the worst housewives ever. I mean, one of the best, but one of the most dreadful. Oh yeah, Aviva really. Like the leg toss was iconic, but I remember thinking no one has ever like, set the bar too high for themselves ever on housewives like that like how do you come back from that you don't like you've that's that's like a last ditch effort mic drop a leg drop it's what it is it's just like see ya actually i remember when i was watching um the the episode where aviva goes back to the barn where she lost the leg and meets becky morgan who turned on the machine that cut her leg off so when i was three um I lost the tip of my middle finger. Well, they sewed it back on, but there was an incident with it slammed door. And I was like, well, that's me and Fiona Nelson. Or maybe I'll go back to the house and meet the girl who slammed the door in my finger. <laughs> I am Aviva. <laughs> I'm just imagining your emotional, like, piece yeah. of camera. And for me to see Fiona today, for some reason you have an American accent now, it just... I have finally have closure. I'm like Aviva. And Aviva's like, I lost a full limb. Like, we are not the same. <laughs> like closing the door and opening it again going yeah that's how it went that's how I lost the finger <laughs> and like tenderly stroking your middle finger like it's okay it's okay uh, not not to downplay um the obviously massive impact that losing a leg has had on a beaver's life but I mean leg or no leg she is whoa, a piece of work we're chatting in December and people are doing lists and they're talking about faves of the year i'm not expecting a, a super comprehensive one because i've kind of sprung this on you but is there anything culture wise this year that you that really got you through maybe there was a, an album or a book or a tv show or a movie that you were like god i'd love for more people to see this or this really was my vibe this year oh well I, as it's coming up to christmas actually i re-watched recently the norwegian um series on netflix called home for christmas i don't know I don't know what its Norwegian name is. It's in Norwegian, but it has subtitles. It's really fresh, interesting, funny take on like a Christmas story where somebody's trying to find, you know, a love for Christmas. Um, I should point out it's not for children. It it looks a bit misleading because it looks very festive and Christmassy, but it is an, definitely an adult show. And there's a new series, I think, coming before the end of the month. So that's something I think not enough people have seen. It's really enjoyable. Um, Music-wise, I've loved CMAT. Um, who's an Irish kind of pop star and she has had great music out this year that is in my like top Spotify rap listens oh I love that I actually because I saw Home for Christmas on my like on that coming soon thing in Netflix I was like I've never heard it and I with you on CMAT very good at social media but also very good at making music and sometimes pop stars can only do one or the other she has only released I think three songs and they are all bangers like they really are they're really really good so I can't wait to see where things go for her Absolutely. And God, I'm, I must find out if Seamat's a real housewife's man, because I feel like if she was. Oh, she has a real housewife's vibe, definitely. From us is like the highest praise. I feel like people are like, what do you mean? We're like, no, no, no. It means you get it. It means you're down. Yeah, no, I know people who just wouldn't get it. I would never even recommend housewives to them because it'd be like, oh, there's too, too many questions. No. <laughs> and you're right. And actually, that's funny because... I feel like before this great Netflix summer edition of all these shows, when I was trying to pitch to some people, they'd be like, no, that doesn't seem like I'd like it. I'm like, no, no. Particularly New York. I was like, if you get into New York, the comedy and the places that show goes, I swear, it's not just your typical reality show. And there's nothing wrong with a typical reality show, but like, there is that some secret sauce at Housewives because each city is so different. Yeah, no, it is. There's something, and you, you stick with some of them for so long. I mean, there's women in Beverly Hills, New York, who've been there since the start. And it's like, wow, they like they're really ingrained. They are really friends. Like I can't believe it took me as long as I did 
to watch Housewives, considering I could probably quote Gaston Girls to you or like Filthy Rich Cattle Drive. I can't believe it took me as long as it did to get into it. As I said, it was just overwhelming. I was just afraid there was too much content. I suppose you're watching a lot of the shows that are airing currently. You're going back and all that. What do you think is next for you on your Housewives journey? Um, I think it will be Atlanta. So I've actually seen a few episodes of Atlanta here and there. And am I right in thinking Eva from America's Next Top Model is one of the Housewives? She was for a while. She was friend of one season and then she was full time for, for, I want to say, maybe two seasons and she's not back this year. So she was on it for a while. Yeah. Incredible. Like that alone is enough to for me to go, oh my God, Atlanta has to be next. Um, I've just heard loads of good things about it. I've seen a few episodes here and there and really loved it. I've heard so much about Nini. I just really want to get into it. But I'm going to... I think I'm going to blaze through Potomac and catch up because I think there's only four or five seasons. Um, I'm going to keep up with Salt Lake City. And then when I'm finished, when I'm up to date with Potomac, I think then I'll go to Atlanta. Oh, I love that. I love this. This is a plan. This will take you into 2021 and beyond. I have a friend who, who is watching all of Housewives from the start, but he's watching them in chronological order. So as they aired... So, you know, he's watching whatever the very first, was Orange County the very first? Yeah. So he's watching them, not like, I'm going to watch all of Orange County first. He's watching them like Orange County aired in this year, so I'm going to watch that. And then I'm going to watch, so he's watching them all in chronological order, which is fascinating. The psychology of that. And then you could, if you want to get really technical, like what if what, season two of one thing aired at the same time as season three of another? And do you go back and, wow, that's almost like, a performance art piece to like set up the time stamps and go much in this way. I think for the most part, Housewives is fairly timeless. They don't talk a lot about what's going on in the world around them. I mean, you'll have mentions of Trump and obviously there'll be mentions of coronavirus and what have you, but they don't tend to chat too much about what's going on in the background. But I think it would be really interesting to see, you know, how things that were filmed in the same year kind of they must have some similarities, fashion, you know, what's going on in the news, what's going on in pop culture, all that kind of thing. That's true, actually. Yeah, you're right. Up, I think up until the last years, they really just didn't bother dating the shows. Tonight. But there are funny things like there's an amazing like fight in Atlanta, probably season three or four between Nini and Sheree, where Nini just her her closing line is basically, I have a Trump check, honey, a Trump check. She'd been on Celebrity Apprentice. And when you watch it now, you're like, oh, God, I have a Trump check does not have the same weight that it used to. This is going up. This will be in people's ears, hopefully just in time before Christmas. Tell me more about the Ashling Diary and why it is a must have, because you very kindly sent me one, you and Sarah. And I have to say it is it is the 2021 diary for me. Like that is one we're using. It's a weekly layout. It's everything I need in the diary. Oh, I'm so glad because we really wanted it to be something that people found genuinely useful. So, um, yeah, so Sarah and I didn't release an Ashling book uh, this year. We just decided to take a year off from writing a full book. But we have started writing the fourth book. But we decided to do a little something for people who are used to getting the Ashling books on Christmas morning or giving them as gifts. So, uh, yeah, the Ashling Diary is kind of a planner and then a, an insight into how Ashling lives her years. So we get a lot of her thoughts on each month and um, her thoughts on the weather. She does a few inspirational quotes. She gives lots of space for lists and uh, bits to do, films to watch, things to eat, books to read, that kind of thing. So I think, hope people will find it really useful. Um, I think they will. People have said that, that they really like it. And we wanted to make sure that it was like a very pleasing thing to look at. So it's it's quite high quality and it looks like it looks nice. You, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be, mad at having it in my handbag no you're right it's actually the paper stock and the feel of it is like really like it is such it, like it's an actual legit diary and it's a fun kind of spin-off of the character that feels organic it's not just like we th- we do put the illustration of Ashley on the front cover there you go like, there is a good bit of kind of fresh Ashlyn content in there so a little thing to kind of keep you going maybe to look forward to every month <laughs> and so you mentioned that you're working on book four and I know there's been talk about the movie I mean has it been, I mean, in a way, I know you and Sarah kind of write together, maybe write separately and, and all that kind of thing. Have you been able to kind of work this year and, or did kind of lockdown and stuff get in the way? I don't know. How does that work? Well, kind of luckily, we had decided before the pandemic hit that we were going to take this year off from writing books. So it actually coincidentally worked out OK for us because, um, you know, there were childcare issues, the kids were off, you know, all that kind of thing. So that would have really impeded our ability to work together. Um, so 
it kind of worked out well. Like we still were able to work together. Um, I actually was in a bubble with Sarah because I live on my own and she lives quite close to me. So I basically joined her family. We have we we work very well whether we're kind of together or apart. Um, at the moment now that we're writing a new book, we're kind of meeting every Thursday to chat about the chapters we've just written and to keep going. We wanted to get a head start on it before Christmas. God, fair play. You know, that's the Ashton in both of you, very organised, very like before Christmas. Can I ask a question? And I don't know if this maybe is something that you don't ever answer, but you mentioned there when you write the book, you kind of look at the chapters each written. Is it a case of you, okay, I'll do this chapter, you do the next, and then you pass it back and forth? Like, how do you, because I'm just fascinated by writing a book with someone because it seems so different to the solo endeavour of the writer on their own. Yeah, so when we wrote the first book, which I think we started back in 2016, we obviously had never written a book individually before and we had never written a book together before. So we had to kind of make up a, um, and you were, I um, thank you for saying we were organized and actually like we were not organized at all. We were like, oh my God, this deadline is not that far away. We have to make a start on this. So we just, what we do is we decide an overall kind of story arc, like kind of quite vague. Um, although the one for book four is much more detailed, but um, we decide that, then we decide what's going to happen in the next few chapters, maybe the next four chapters. And then we decide who's going to write those chapters. So there might be something in one chapter, like I'm writing a chapter at the moment and it's kind of based on something I've experienced. So it makes more sense for me to write that. We write our chapters, we come back together, we each read each other's work, we pick up on new characters and new storylines, and then we decide what's going to happen in the next few chapters. So that's how it works. We both have kind of the same voice, especially when it comes to Ashling, So it works like that. And then obviously we go back and edit it. So, you know, there's also always really bad continuity problems and, you know, oh, we've called 17 people Sinead. We need to, you know, change some of those names, that kind of thing. But it works well for us. So <laughs> we're going to keep going like that. No, it definitely does. And it's just so interesting to hear you say that because kind of knowing you both and knowing certain, I guess, things from you've, that you've written elsewhere, there'll be the odd moments in an Ashton book. Oh, that strikes me as maybe an Emer thing or like that reminds something that, because Sarah and I are both from Carl, like that reminds you of Carl, but I'm also like, it's only ever like a tiny line somewhere. I've never gone, that chapter now, the banging Emer off that. And that's a credit to you both that there is a shared, clearly a shared vision for the character. We'll often get people going, oh, you definitely wrote that. And I'll be like, no, I, well, oftentimes we actually can't remember who wrote which part of <laughs> terrible Sarah loves to tell the story about how we were editing book two I think and I had written like lol this is so funny in the margin beside it and so I was like well Sarah this bit was so funny and she was like yeah you wrote that like you're a big fan of yourself and I was like oh my god I totally thought you wrote it (laughs) that's got and I feel like when you're probably in the trenches editing a book and you've looked at your she's like yeah Emer you wrote that (laughs) remember like I can't remember who wrote any of it yeah, it's 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 nice to have someone to work with. We always say, imagine we had to do all the promo and all the you know all those bits by ourselves. I'd hate that. So I'm I'm very glad to have her to travel around with. So I mean, I hate asking this because it's like when someone asks someone doing their college exams or leaving search how they're getting on. But is the plan for it to be out kind of sometime like next year? Is it? Am I freaking you out by asking that? No, no. So the plan would be for book four. Um, which doesn't have a title yet. We usually come up with the title as kind of the last thing we come up with. Uh, book four will hopefully be out next September. Um, so we will hopefully have it finished by maybe March or April and then go into the editing process. And then, yeah, we'll be getting the illustration for the cover, picking the title, all those kind of exciting things. Yeah, definitely. And I I mean, I'm just going to ask over here. I know the, the movie has been mentioned. Is that still, like, I know movies could take forever. Is that still something that's kind of cooking away? Or I know film business has kind of taken a bit of a hit this year. Is it one of those things where, like, we'll come back to that post-COVID or? Uh, no, so we were working away. I, that was actually one of the things we did work on during the pandemic. So, I mean, we have no, we had no um, experience writing screenplays really before this. So uh, we've been working with Element Pictures who've had great kind of success with normal people and room. So, you know, no pressure. But so we were able to knuckle down and work on it. But we've been working on the screenplay for about two years on and off, I'd say like bits here and there. But we've finally got it down to kind of, I think the eighth draft, which sounds a lot, but it is quite normal, I think. And now it's ready for kind of directors to look at it and maybe for someone to think about casting and stuff like that. So it has moved on quite a lot. Um, It's with Element Pictures at the moment and it's exciting to see what might happen in the new year, especially if things start to go back a little bit more to normal. 
Good. Okay, fab. And listen, that's what we know what's next for you with Housewives. We have an idea of where Ashley might end up in terms of getting a new book and whatnot. But if people want to, obviously they can check out the Ashley books, but if people want to follow you or check out your writing, where, where can they catch you on that? Um, so on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Emer the Screamer, a name I chose back in 2007 when I was an early adopter of Twitter and I regret, but you know, that's me, Emer the Screamer. Um, I write a weekly column for the Sunday Business Post magazine, so that's always in there. And yet the Ashton books are on the shelves, great Christmas presents, the Ashton Diaries on the shelves. So yeah, that's where you'll find me. I agree. I get my sister an Ashton book because she's not she's in Canada and I send her one every year. And I just love being able to be like, they a bit of slice of home for you now. All right, well, listen, Emer, I'm very, very thankful for getting uh, a bit of time with you to chat about our shared love of Real Housewives. So thank you very much and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. That was Emer McCloysett on Housewives and Me. We will be back next week with another brand new episode. Yes, on the 29th of December, Christmas or no Christmas, we are keeping the Housewives and Me train rolling. Maybe during your Christmas break, you'll even have time to binge watch some Housewives shows you haven't seen, watch some favourites again. A lot of people do rewatch, which is uh, something I've learned from doing this podcast. Thank you so much for all your support so far in the show in just the last couple of months. It is certainly helping me end 2020 on a better note than I could have expected because let's face it this year was pretty crap i hope you have an amazing christmas i hope you can stay safe and healthy i'm sending love to you and yours and hopefully you can find little pockets of normality even if things feel a bit different we'll be back next week as i said you can follow the show on social media at housewives and me on twitter and instagram i'm it's connor bean on twitter and instagram if you want to say hello there as well enjoy your christmas and i'll talk to you soon Bye.